The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's Gospel, the second chapter. We're going to continue going along in that. And I had a, a couple of good weeks of needed vacation. It was great. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Blake and Jeff for filling in uh, from the pulpit. Didn't hear the Word of God the last two weeks. Isn't it good? Let's just tell them thank you. Uh, Blake uh, had made reference to my age last week, or week before last, I think. Uh, testing to see whether or not I listened to uh, the video. And uh, Blake, there are a couple of doctrinal points that we'll get with, together with later uh, as we look at that. Williamsburg, a place for old folks. Man. Uh, so, listen, uh, Jesus, as we've been following along with Him in the Gospel, in the Gospel of Mark, we come to chapter 2, and, and we need to recognize that when Mark wrote this Gospel account, he's not writing it chronologically. The events that we're going to look at this morning through verses 1 to 22 are, are not what happened chronologically as it came along. It's really about two years into Jesus' ministry at this time. Jesus has been healing a lot of people, he's been a lot, doing a lot of things, he's been preaching the Word of God a lot, and he's ruffled some feathers along the way. Because Jesus is proclaiming a gospel that says, follow me, don't follow the teachings or the system that's been developed by the Pharisees. He's saying, listen, follow me. And, and as a result of that, now the Pharisees have, have kind of put their hit squad out, if you will, following Jesus everywhere that He goes and trying to find a way that, that they might catch Jesus in a trap. Maybe to get him to contradict the law or something like that. And the event that we're looking at this morning, as we start looking in verse 1, is, is, is a place where Jesus is and the house is full because people have been following Jesus and there's something not only attractional about the miracles that he's been performing, but there's something attractional about Jesus because there's a distinct difference in Jesus' teaching and the teachings of the Pharisees. I mean, we know that grace is much more pleasurable than the law, right? And so he um, follows Jesus there. But, but some of the backdrop that we need to understand as we look at this question this morning, what about forgiveness of sin? If you've lived long enough, you realize that in order to have good, healthy relationships on a human level... It requires that we be able to extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness from one another, right? Whether it's intentional or unintentional, the fact is there are times that we hurt people, there are times that we offend people, there are times that we do things that are very damning to other individuals, and in that it's necessary not only for the benefit of the other person, but for us as well to be able to forgive others, right? I've learned after 35 years of marriage, there's two things I do every day. In the morning, I wake up and I tell my wife, honey, I'm sorry. And that is for whatever it is that I'm going to do today, because I know I'm going to mess something up in the day, right? And before I go to bed at night, I say, honey, forgive me, because I know I've messed up something during the day. Well, if it's that important in human relationships to have forgiveness when we sin against one another, how much more important is it that we know that there is a forgiveness that 
comes from a gracious, holy, and loving God, yet there's some way He has to justify His ability to be able to forgive us because He is holy and righteous, and there's nothing we could ever do in and of ourselves to merit His forgiveness, right? And what Jesus is going to talk about here has everything to do with forgiveness in these three stories. Kind of as a backdrop, you notice I said that there were people that were following the teachings of Jesus, but there were also those that were following the teachings of the Pharisees. And in that day, the Pharisees had four primary thoughts that they relegated as far as why it is or how it is that God forgives sin. And it's important for us to hear these as we look at this passage. Number one, the Jews taught that with regard to forgiveness of sin... That the forgiveness of sin is solely based on confession of sin and the cleansing of sin through the sacrificial system that had been given. Well, the sacrificial system that had been given was never intended to be that which would be for a permanent forgiveness of sins. There was something to come later, and we find that's in Jesus, His sacrifice. But they thought that by following those, there was a forgiveness of sin. Listen, forgiveness of sin came before that by faith, regardless of whether or not they followed the ceremonial law. The second thing that the Jews thought was that righteousness or forgiveness of sin came through keeping the law. In particular for them, it was the laws that they had developed, some 680 plus laws on top of God's law related to the Sabbath. And that if you kept all of these laws, you were forgiven by God. In other words, it was a system based on good works and your own merit. By the way, that's kind of the most prevalent thought that we have in our culture and our age as well. That if you do enough good things, if you do enough right things, and somehow or another that outweighs all the bad, then you're okay with God and you're forgiven. Folks, that's just not the way it works because there's never enough good that we could ever do to merit our forgiveness of sin. The third thing that they thought was that sin only occurred in an external fashion. You can have the wrong attitude, you can have the wrong heart, you can have the wrong motive, and that's okay. As long as you don't act out on that, then it's not sin. Well, Jesus dealt with that very clearly, didn't He? In the Sermon on the Mount, when He says that, I tell you, if you've hated your brother, then you have committed murder, and you're a murderer. If you've looked at a woman to lust after her for yourself, then you've committed adultery. And what Jesus was saying was, listen, sin goes far deeper than the external things. We can have all the right stuff going on the outside, but... If it's bad in here, listen, and that's where it's bad. Jesus said, out of the mouth of man come the matter of hearts, and men are wicked at the very core. And so sin goes much deeper than the external matter. Lastly, they taught a message that any sickness or disease or disability that you might have in your life, how many of you have had the crud the last few weeks, you know? Then you need to repent and confess your sins so that you might be healed. You see, their idea was that any sickness in life came as a result of sin. Well, Jesus kind of shattered that. If you remember the story, the young man who was born blind, and he comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus heals him of his blindness, and his disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, who sinned that this man was blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It was so that the Father might be glorified. 
And so that was their mindset. That was their idea of the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus begins to address this, or, or Mark records this uh, event that takes place beginning in verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. And when the, He returned, that is Jesus, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that He was at this home. And there were many that were gathered together, and there were so many that the room was full, and not even could you, you couldn't even get through the door. And Jesus was in there in their midst, and He was preaching the Word to them. And they came, these men, bringing to Jesus a paralytic. It was carried by four of them, and they could not get near him because of the crowd. They couldn't get in, so they went up on the roof, and they removed the roof above Jesus. When they made an opening in the roof, they let down the bed that they had the paralytic man laying on. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Son or friend, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes, were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts. Why does this man, that is Jesus, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming against God. For who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned him within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this before. Father, we pray that as we look intently at Your Word, that God, it would be the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts, Lord. Lord, You know where each and every individual is in this room. God, You know us even better than we know ourselves. And Lord, we believe in the power of Your Word and the Holy Spirit, God, to, to penetrate and, and change us and transform us. So God, we're asking this morning, God, we want to be changed, we want to be transformed. Renew us by Your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want us to notice as this passage and the next two following it deal with this question of forgiveness of sin is that forgiveness of sin in our lives is always, always, always based on the truth of what God's Word says in relation to forgiveness of sin. You see, the, the scribes were teaching a, another teaching, a methodology, if you will, of the forgiveness of sin. And, and, and Jesus is saying here, listen, the forgiveness of sin is always based on the Word of God. It's not based on what man thinks about the forgiveness of sin. You see, the forgiveness of sin is not based on some man-made system by which we receive forgiveness of our sin from God. Forgiveness of sin is not based on a church creed that might be developed that we say that says we have to do this and that and this and that in order to forget forgiveness of, to get forgiveness of God. But God's forgiveness is directed and is in direct correlation with what the Bible says to us about how He forgives our sins. John writes in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, a verse that we're all very familiar with. 
where he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. That through the confessing of sin, and that simply means that we acknowledge before God, God, we are sinners, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do to merit, to earn your forgiveness. God, we confess that we need you, Lord. We want to trust you. And it says that here that God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Ephesians chapter 1-7, Paul writes this. He says, in Him, that is in Jesus... We have redemption through His blood. In other words, we have been purchased by God through the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. The only payment that God could ever receive for our sins, Jesus paid that for us. That we've been redeemed by His blood. There's nothing that you and I can ever do. There's no good work. There's no ritual we can go through. There's no outward appearance of spirituality that we could ever attain that would pay for the penalty of our sins. It is given and extended because of what Jesus did for us by shedding His blood for us on the cross. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So the Bible clearly teaches that it's only through the blood of Jesus that we have forgiveness of our sins. Aren't you glad? Isn't it freeing to know that there is nothing that you can or that you have to do in order to receive the forgiveness of your sin? Are you all with me? Sins past, sins present and sin's future. You see, some of us in here this morning have had the idea that, you know, there's some, there's some stuff I did in the past that I, there, there's no way that God could ever forgive me of that. There may be some here this morning that really blew it this morning or last night. Anybody blow it last night? No, don't raise your hands, huh? You see, His forgiveness is not only there for things that we have done in the past, but it's things that we might be committing in the present. He says if we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Notice that what Jesus is doing here in verse 2, while He's in the midst of them, He was preaching the Word to them. I look at this and I think, wow, I would love to have been a fly on the wall. And heard Jesus. What was he preaching to him? I can only imagine that maybe based on what he's already preached that we see Mark recording in the earlier chapter, that, that maybe Jesus is preaching that there's a, a way of salvation that is through repentance and trusting and believing in what He is going to do for them. And it's not according to what the scribes have made up of this long list of extra things that you've got to do. You see, forgiveness is always based on the truth of what the Word of God says. Do you remember when Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, Jesus is, is giving a message that says, Listen, 
I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Forgiveness of sin is not based on this system that man has made, but forgiveness of sin is based on what I'm going to do for you that you can't ever do for yourself. And if you place your trust in that, you will know the truth and you will be free. Not only free from past sin, but free from present sin and the entrapment in that and the entrapment of trying to live it on your own and earn something from God you can never earn on your own. The second basis that Jesus lays out for us here in the forgiveness of sin is that forgiveness of sin always involves an act of faith on man's part. Look at verse 5. Mark records for us that when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Why did these men bring this paralytic man to Jesus? To be healed. I really don't think it was in their mind at all that Jesus was going to do what Jesus did. You see, the obvious need that this man had was that he needed to be healed of his paralysis. But they lowered Jesus down, and Jesus says to the man, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Not doing what was the obvious, but doing what was the greater need, and that was that his sins might be forgiven. You see, it was his greatest needs, and can I tell you something, friend? It's your greatest need, and it's my greatest need at all, and that is that our sins are forgiven. But the forgiveness of sin can never come by works that we might do. It has to come by us placing our faith and trust of what God has done on our behalf through His Son, Jesus. Notice, did anybody ask Jesus to forgive this man's sins? I love this because... Jesus did it on His own initiative. God is always initiating His grace towards fallen man. You hear people say sometimes, you know, I found God. The fact of us, none of us found God. God sought us out and called us unto Himself. Do you remember when Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and where they had been with God on a regular basis in fellowship and they they were disobedient to God, they sinned against Him and in order to try to cover up their nakedness and their reality that they were sinful now, they took fig leaves and they sewed them together and they put them around themselves. What happens? You find that God comes into the garden and He says, Adam... Adam, where are you? That wasn't if God did not know where Adam was. He knew exactly where Adam was. But we see that God is such a gracious and loving God that He will hunt us down wherever we are so that He might extend and initiate His grace to us so that we might come to know Him and be in fellowship with Him. Isn't that neat? God's always initiating mercy in our lives where we don't get what we rightfully deserve. God never holds a grudge. 
We don't get what we deserve, and He extends His grace to us, and we receive what we can never earn or merit ourselves. You see, forgiveness is always initiated by our faith and believing God for who He is, not what we can do. You see, the law was not given so that man might be saved. The law was given to show us how very far short we fall from meeting the requirements to be in relationship with a holy God. God had never intended the law for that purpose, to save us. But as we would get to the end of the day and say, God, there's no way that I can perform all of these things that are necessary in order to stand in the presence of a holy God. God, I need you, and Lord, I want to trust in what you've done for me that I couldn't do for myself. You see, salvation has always been by faith. In Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham was called by God, and this was long before the giving of the law, the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to to him as righteousness. Salvation, forgiveness of sin, has always been based on faith in God. In the book of Habakkuk, it says that the righteous, those who are declared right in God's sight shall live by faith, trusting God. Friend, if you're here thinking that your forgiveness has come by any other means or that you're seeking forgiveness, there's absolutely nothing you could ever do to merit forgiveness. It's simply through God's mercy and His grace. The third thing that that we find here is, again in the same verse, verse 5, is that forgiveness always requires God's gracious act of forgiveness. You see, it's always His initiative. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the penalty or the payment for sin is death. But can I say a show of hands? How many of us in this room are guilty of sin? You realize that what we have earned by that is spiritual death and physical death and it's going to come to account. The payment for sin is death. But, Paul says in this, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, uh, the, the penalty of sin is death. However, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. It's a free gift. Now, we give gifts expecting something in return, don't we? Christmas is coming along pretty soon, right? And you're going to open that gift that somebody has exchanged with you, and in your mind, be honest with me now, in your mind, you're going to be thinking, boy, I hope she got me something as good as I got her. Or oftentimes we give gifts expecting something in return, if nothing more than just a pat on the back that says thank you. And have you ever given a gift and somebody didn't acknowledge the gift? That's a test to see whether or not you gave it just to give it as a gift, or you gave it for an acknowledgement of the gift. But you see, God's gift that He gives us by grace is free. Free gift. It's always by His grace. 
The Bible also says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that we have been saved through, by grace through faith. Now let's look at the prepositions in this verse. Now follow along with me. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul does not say that through grace you have been saved by faith. But it's by God's grace, His provision of His grace, that you've been saved where you've placed your faith in Him through your faith. You see, if it was the other way around, then it would say, I have something to do with my salvation. If it was by faith through grace that says, I've done it by my faith. No, you haven't done anything by your faith. Because the Bible tells us that even the faith that we have to believe and to trust in Christ is given to us by God Himself. Isn't that amazing? And God's extended that by His grace. The fourth thing is this. Let's look at the next account. Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 2, beginning of verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to Him, and He was teaching them. And as He passed by, He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth, and He said to him, Follow Me. And He rose, and He followed Him. As He reclined at the table in His house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and His disciples, for there were many who followed Him. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can I pause here for a minute? That's one of the reasons I love Jesus so much, because he ate with sinners. Sometimes we're so afraid to hang out with sinners. Because we're, we're good Christians and we're afraid of what other Christians are going to think about us. I could care less what other Christians think about me. Can you say amen to that? Jesus didn't care. Why? He loved them. And He wanted sinners to come to salvation by placing their trust and their faith in Him. So He's hanging out with these sinners. Now notice, Jesus didn't compromise to hang out with sinners. And we don't need to compromise to hang out with sinners. Well, my goodness, He has called us so that we might be salt and light to love so that others might come know Him, to know Him through our love and the message of the gospel. When Jesus heard it, He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to save sinners. You see, forgiveness of sin always demands following Jesus only. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that a condition of the forgiveness of sin is by the work of following Jesus. But forgiveness of sin always responds to a call from Jesus to follow Him. When Mark uses the word follow here, it has the meaning, come along and go the way that I am going. And Jesus is saying to Matthew, who is a tax collector, Matthew, don't follow after the teachings of the Pharisees, but I'm calling you to follow me. Did you ever wonder why Matthew, who is a tax collector, would leave everything that he had there at the booth and just immediately pick up and follow Jesus. 
I mean, if you put it in, in, our, in our world today, it would be our very livelihood that Matthew left right there. He quit his job, didn't give a two-week notice, but he left it all to do what? To follow Jesus. The only answer I can come to that is that God's grace is so, so incredibly irresistible that when He calls us, and that call is always there, we follow Him. Matthew leaves everything there. He picks up and he follows Jesus. And we're aware of what a tax collector was in that culture. You see, a tax collector was really a, a Jewish trader. They would, they would essentially hoodwink their own people in order to line their pockets with money that they received in taxes and then give the rest to Rome. You see, to the Jews' mind, they were sinners. To the Pharisees, they were sinners because they didn't follow their teachings. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to follow me and follow me only. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, don't follow some man-made system of religion, but follow me. Don't follow some creed that's been established by any denomination, but I'm telling you, come and follow me. Jesus is saying, listen, don't go out there and follow what is vogue in the Christian world. Can I, can I get on the pulpit for, on the, on the step for a minute, folks? It troubles me sometimes that the Christian body of Christ goes out to follow whatever might be shaking and moving today in Christendom, yet they're not following Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Don't follow that other. You see, in order to follow Jesus, when I look at this story with Matthew, what I realize is that the same thing that was required of Matthew is the same thing that's required of us. In order to follow Jesus, we've got to agree to leave everything else behind and follow Him. It's not follow me and bring whatever you want to bring along with you. Jesus says, follow me and me only be willing to lay it all down and follow me. You see, for too long, I think we've had this idea is that I can, I can follow Jesus and just add Him along with this other stuff. But He's not having any demands on my life. He's not going to say, listen, follow me. But in order to follow me, you've got to give this up. And it doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It can be good. But wherever your heart is, Jesus said, there your treasure is also. And Jesus wants every bit of our treasure, every bit of ourselves. And He says, follow me. The last thing that forgiveness involves is found here in verse 17. You see, forgiveness of sin always involves an acknowledgement of sinfulness. Notice what the Pharisees said in the last part of 16. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to him, Listen, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I can paraphrase a little bit what Jesus was saying. Was Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, Listen, you think you got your act together. 
you, you think you're all well. You think you're all righteous. Because you follow this system that's man-made. And as a matter of fact, much of the system that you say you're following, you developed yourself. And you think that righteousness and the forgiveness of sin comes through following this stuff. It doesn't at all. And, and really there's nothing I can do for you because you think you got it all together. Jesus says, listen, I didn't, I didn't come for those who, who think they've got it all together. I've come for those who recognize that they don't have anything together. Nothing, nada. And they know that they need a doctor. You see, it's when we get to the place that we recognize and realize, man, we are absolutely, dreadfully, miserably condemned in our sin. We say, God, there's nothing I can ever do to have fellowship or relationship with you. I need what Jesus has done. Then we're in a position to be healed of the disease of sin. I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't come, he says. It's not that Jesus didn't care about them. He did. But have you ever tried to convince somebody of something when they're just dead set in their way and there's nothing you can do to ever change their mind? You eventually just say, okay. <laughs> Be a bonehead. That's all right with me. You see, it's not to the place that we recognize, man, we're in need. And we call out to Him and say, Jesus, You're the only way for me. In closing, let me ask you a couple of questions. Where are you this morning? Are you living a life that you might call a Christian life, but really what you're doing is trying to follow a set of creeds and, and model what you've seen other people do? And maybe you've never placed your trust in what Jesus has done for you by faith and saying, Jesus, I recognize that there's nothing I can do to take care of my sin. Only by trusting you. Because you've done it for me. Can I have the forgiveness of sin? If you're here this morning and you're in that place, then I would invite you this day, today, to be willing to say, God, I'm a sinner. There's no doubt about that. But I recognize there's nothing I can do about my sin. Jesus, I'm placing my trust in that you have shed your blood for me. And Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you in that. And God, I want you to work in me to make me a greater follower of you. Lord, save me today. On the other hand, maybe you're someone here this morning who has, at some point in your life, you did that. You trusted Christ for your salvation. But somehow or another, you slipped in to this, this trying to live the Christian life by what you're able to do rather than depending on Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Listen, we can't do 10,000 Hail Marys. We can't do 10,000 spiritual backflips on a high spiritual night with the band playing and all that kind of stuff and cry crocodile tears at the altar. Do all those kinds of forms. You see, none of that. It's all by grace. We're saved by grace and we're kept by grace.
Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.